0: Hello, and welcome to Glasgow City Heritage Trust podcast, If Glasgow's
1: Walls Could Talk, a new series about the relationships, stories, and shared memories that exist between Glasgow's historic buildings and people.
0: Hello, I'm Neil Murphy, and welcome to If Glasgow's Walls Could Talk, a podcast by Glasgow City Heritage Trust about the stories and relationships between historic buildings and people in Glasgow. Today we are talking about Glasgow and slavery, and about buildings and streets in our city named after tobacco merchants and slave traders. In particular, we will focus on one building that was built with the wealth coming from the work of enslaved people. From the 1700s until the UK abolished slavery in 1833, Glasgow m- merchants made fortunes from trading tobacco, sugar, rum and cotton produced on plantations or in factories by slaves that they owned historians have recorded 19 slave voyages leaving Greenock and Port Glasgow in the six decades between 1706 and 1766, carrying roughly 3,000 people into slavery. Now, if there is an area associated with slavery within Glasgow, it is the streets of what we now call the merchant city, which is really the first and second new towns of Glasgow. So these streets gradually extended away from the more ancient heart of the city around Trongate through the course of the 18th century. The resulting Glasgow grid of streets was where the merchants who shipped tobacco, sugar, and tea had their warehouses and dwellings. From 1740 to 1790, Glasgow became the hub of the world's tobacco trade, at times trading more than all the English ports, including London, put together. The trade was hugely profitable, and the newly rich merchants were known as the tobacco lords. Their names are immortalized in numerous Glasgow streets. So, for instance, Glassford Street is named after John Glassford of Dougalston and Whitehill, who owned tobacco plantations in Virginia and Maryland. Cochrane Street is named after Andrew Cochrane of Brighouse. Dunlop Street is named after Colin Dunlop of Carmyle. Ingram Street is named after Archibald Ingram, who was also Lord Provost and Dean of Guild. Or Oswald Street, which was named after the Oswald family, whose members include the notorious Richard Oswald, who had plantations in the Caribbean, Florida, and most famously on Bance Island in Sierra Leone, where he would dress his slaves on his golf course in Tartan. So just to show you how linked up all of this is, if you look at, say, Virginia Street, which was named after the American colony, just off it, you have the site of what is now the sadly lost tobacco exchange, where sugar and tobacco were bought and sold during the 18th and 19th century. In a good example of Glasgow urbanism, the view down the street was originally terminated by the Virginia Mansion, which was built by the tobacco lord George Buchanan. Demolished in 1841, it was rebuilt as the Glasgow and Ship Bank and is now Corinthian. So even Glasgow's grid of streets, all of this just harks back to the American colonies because that was where they took their form of urbanism from. So in June 2020, Black Lives Matter's demonstrators in Bristol pulled down the statue of the 17th century slave trader Edward Colston. This controversial act started a national debate about statues and street names associated with slavery across the country and whether these statues should be taken down and streets renamed. While this debate is still ongoing, it does highlight a need to look again at our history and cast light on uncomfortable facts, particularly when thinking about neglected or untold histories. In that regard, arguably the most famous building in Glasgow with links to slavery is the Gallery of Modern Art in Royal Exchange Square. Goma, as it's now known, was originally the Cunningham Mansion, owned by tobacco lord William Cunningham of Laneshaw. Cunningham was an astute businessman who made his fortune from trade in tobacco and sugar and was deeply linked with slavery. In 1780, Cunningham spent £10,000 constructing his mansion. This is roughly around £1.5 million today. So in 1817... The mansion was then purchased by the Royal Bank of Scotland and was initially used as their Glasgow headquarters. Ten years later, the bank sold it to a consortium led by James Ewing of Strathleven. Now, he's quite interesting too, because even though he was heavily involved in a whole kind of range of initiatives in Glasgow, things like setting up the necropolis, he was also the owner of 586 slaves on five plantations in Jamaica. And he received over 9,000 pounds in compensation from the British government for the loss of his property, i.e. his slaves, on the back of the 1833 Act. So and it was he who commissioned architect David Hamilton to transform and extend the mansion into the Royal Exchange for Glasgow. Glasgow Corporation acquired the building in 1949, moving Stirling's library from nearby Miller Street into the former exchange. And then later, in 1996, the building was converted to house Glasgow's Gallery of Modern Art with a mural of the Glasgow coat of arms by artist Nicky de saint over the entrance. So this beautiful neoclassical building has been a home, a bank, an exchange, and a library before its current use as a gallery. So it's a great example of adaptive reuse within the city. So our guest today is Katie Bruce, producer and curator at GOMA, where she is responsible for GOMA's exhibition and public program and contemporary art acquisitions for Glasgow museums. Katie has worked at GOMA since September 2002 and has an expanded curatorial practice, working primarily with socially engaged artists. At the end of July 2017, the Gallery of Modern Art unveiled a permanent display called Stones Steeped in History that tells the story of the building from before it was built in 1776, through its various uses and modifications as described on Goma's websites. Stone Steeped in History allows us to tell the story of the building through times of great wealth and from international trade, with undeniable links to slavery, to being one of the city's first telephone exchanges and onto Glasgow's rise as a center for arts and culture. So, Katie, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much, and that's quite an introduction.
0: So, well, we're glad to have you on board. So, we have a number of questions for you. So, first off, do you think it is easier to interpret objects and works of art related to slavery than to buildings?
1: I think, like everything, it really does depend um, on, what, on what you have and what you have access to. I think one of the things that we'd, Kind of talked about for a number of years within Glasgow museums is objects that directly related to the history of slavery that we felt were were quite obvious to visitors. We didn't have as many of, um, and our buildings were at, at that point, particularly Goma, um, one of the most visible direct connections to Glasgow's history of slavery. So I suppose that that then started conversations around about um, Stone steeped in history but it had also been referred to really briefly um, within the opening publication for GOMA and in notes that we had about the building that our visitor assistants would talk to visitors about. Um, I think in some ways objects are easier because you expect an object to have a label next to it so for audiences coming in They look for that information with buildings in the city. We don't expect to find a label telling you the history of every single building in the city around about it. So I suppose people um, do their own searching or find out their their own ways of looking at it.
0: Sure. I I can see where you're coming from there. Similarly, I've been um, working with Glasgow City Council on a conservation uh, management plan for George Square, and that was one of the things that kind of leapt out at me there, that the interpretations for the, the statues is it's pretty much non-existent. I mean, there's a plaque saying who the sculptor was and who the subject is, and that's it. You know, it's up to you to go and find that. And I think things like that could possibly be teased out a bit better around the city and maybe, maybe go as part of that. I, I, I don't know. Um, okay, so we move on to our next question? Um, which is, you know, do, do you think... Um, that acknowledgement of or perception of slavery has changed after the black lives matter protests
1: i think so i mean like i was saying earlier the conversations were there in in museums for quite a number of years and it, you know it led to us doing the st- stone steeped in history um there are wider kind of conversations that happened across glasgow museums um we'd also been involved in the 2007 program that was um, around the commemoration of the abolition of slavery. So I think internally the conversations had been there, but I suppose after the Black Lives Matter protests, the types of conversation changed. I think there'd always been um, a conservative approach to acknowledgement, sort of relying, I suppose, a lot on what was there or not necessarily understanding how much we actually had in our collections and I guess also um, within the city how evident it was you know I suppose what a lot of the discussion is now about how it's kind of been whitewashed over time and that we've actually forgotten a lot of you know when you read out all the names of the streets um, they've just become synonymous with streets in Glasgow they've not necessarily been connected to the plantation owners and the slave owners um, that they're named after so those histories have all kind of disappeared and you know and you're saying about the conversation in George Square I go past it so many times I was a teenager in this city but I couldn't really have told you any of the stories about any of the people that are recognized there apart from the really obvious ones um and I think having done the tour there recently you're told about the names and it goes in so I suppose how visible our histories are um since Black Lives Matter protest and the way that we talk about it and the way that we have to talk about it I think there was kind of there's subtle references um throughout time but it it was just a nod to it it wasn't really acknowledged in the same way that I feel that we're being asked to and held to account to within the city.
0: Sure no I I can completely appreciate that um it's funny because it's something that we we started looking at um, a couple of years ago. And it was very much on the back. I mean, having, you know, knowing something about the history of George Square, knowing something about the kind of the, the hidden histories of um, some of the stories behind some of the monuments within the square, um, I was very conscious of when the whole debate over the Confederacy um, monuments in the United States kicked off. And so we organized a city talk on the back of that. And that was quite interesting. It was like challenging, you know, how, how do we deal with these issues in Glasgow? And it was funny that happened about. Uh, when, when was it? Um, so sort of early 2019. That would been something I'd been planning for a whole year before that. Um, and it was interesting to hear people's responses to that because I was acutely conscious by that point that this was something that we were going to have to tackle. And I was, you know, had been speaking to various people like Dr. Stephen Mullen um, and Councillor Graham Campbell, and pe- people like that. So I, I was acutely conscious of it. So it was interesting to hear what they had to say about issues like that. And begin to think, you know, how how could we tackle this um, part of Glasgow's story, which I think is incredibly important, um, because I think you have to be honest about these things. And it's kind of a truth and reconciliation thing. And it's about how, how you tease that out properly and tell the full story in all its richness. And it means that, you know, there are going to be neg- negative aspects that you you will have to bring out and we will have to confront as a society. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think you can grow from something like that um okay, m- moving on um the next question is are are people more curious and more ready to know about these issues? Is that something that you are you're finding?
1: I think particularly within Goma, people were asking us about the history of the building. It's a kind of un- uniquely beautiful building in that you know you described it moved from a house to a royal exchange. Um, to a gallery so it's had various editions at various points in its its lifetime and so I think visitors f- that we've had over the number of years have asked about it because it's not a straightforward modern and contemporary art gallery um, in lots of ways it's it's got quite a, a, an odd way of going around it so I think from an architectural point of view people were interested and then when you delve deeper, thinking about uses of a building, layers of history, layers of ghosts that, you know, <laughs> are kind of in, in our walls. Um, and I guess as, you know, more and more the rise of social media and and people can easily circulate past images of the city. So you see it in, um, in times before, and we're also able to do that. So I think there was a genuine curiosity um, about it um, and the history. And... I think also artists that we've worked with um, definitely in my experience over the last few years, they've looked into different histories of the building um, from their perspective. So Alexander Dominovich in 2014 was really interested in the notion of the telephone exchange. Um, other artists more recently, like Kam- Kamara Taylor, have looked into um, the connections to empire um, and others as well. So I think you know that complex history is 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 of interest. And I think also within the city, um the connections to empire um and slavery, I mean there's been a huge amount of work um done over the years by Krayer and through Black History Month, I think, has start that started to raise awareness of this in in ways and you know, I suppose as I was saying before, that that circulation um of social media um and being able to find out small things or see see images of your your area or your city in times gone by, um, that, that provokes an interest and, and ways of looking back. And it's it's sometimes easier when you can Google something and, and a, an obscure historical fact comes up at you. So I think, you know, all of these things kind of contribute.
0: It, it is fascinating, you know, being able to figure out now, thanks to the research that um, several people, you know, Steve, Stephen Mull in particular, have been able to do to, to see where... You know, these, these parts of the city, buildings, institutions, where they did get their money from and where, where legacies from, from slavery had been left. And when you, lo- you look at the research and you see who it was that benefited from the kind of the 1837 uh, compensation. Um, that the British government, um, uh, you know, handed out on the, the, and this is what astonishes me: the idea of the lo- loss of property, which is actually people, and that the, the the slaves themselves were not compensated and had to take part in the apprentice scheme. And you think you know that's absolutely shocking, and yet there it is, and there is a record of it, and you can see on um interactive maps nowadays where where all that is is located and you know it's not just glasgow there's there's actually more of it in edinburgh um which which is quite fascinating and so when kind of looking at this um do you think um because we're having to look at this? You know, not just in Scotland, but nationwide as well. Is, is there a difference here between Scotland and England? Has, has Scotland been slower in recognising that um, you know, that it too had a role within the, the slave trade?
1: Yes, because uh, I'm by no means an expert on this. But I think you know, from, from what I understood, the slave trade was acknowledged before through the ships. It wasn't necessarily the profits from it. And so when you said earlier that, you know, 17 ships went from Glasgow, although we might have been involved in the shipbuilding for a lot more than those 17 ships um, that were involved in the slave trade. I think England, because the ports were actively used and there was an an active um, community asking questions about that direct involvement in the trafficking and the Middle Passage, that I think it's an interesting one because I think that then became the conversation rather than what, you know, what you're, what we now talk about is the legacy of empire and slavery in very different ways. And, you know, still, I suppose pre 2007, when we started to look more at um, slavery and the abolition of it, which was not the ending of it, that the the recognition of what actually happened in Glasgow um, came through, but also, how broad the impact of empire and slavery is um, was still is and is ongoing, and so I suppose it's a far it's it's much less of a black and white conversation that I think it was before that meant that Scotland could slightly avoid looking at it, looking at itself, and I think, as you say, with the reparations.
0: Yeah, I I, I think so, and I think it's interesting because because we are slightly divorced from it. Which is part of the problem. So what, what you find is because Glasgow's role in the actual um, the ships and um and, and you know the ships that actually took slaves from here across the Atlantic is actually relatively limited compared to Liverpool and Bristol. But then when you actually look at Liverpool, you discover that 128 of those captains on those ships were Scots. And you know that all, all the various Scottish merchants who were based down there, and that includes people like um, like Gladstone, and um, his Gladstone's father, you know, was in it up to his necks in um, British Guiana, and um, and Gladstone, when he first gets into Parliament, is actually one of the people who argues against the um, the, the kind of the abolition of, of slavery based on the fact that his father given his, his links to the West Indies Association is one of the key players in all of this and it's Gladstone who sits and works out um, and they actually have his handwritten notes for this the compensation that his father is due and what why this where the Scottish connection comes from is, is his father was from Leith so you know they they were Scots and so it's again we we were we in it up to our necks in it um, uh, a couple of years ago, I was investigating the architect Henry Edward Clifford, who's a very good Glasgow-style architect, and who's one of the people who helped train Charles Rennie Mackintosh. And his—he actually came from Trinidad. And when you look back at his father, his father was one of the people who was compensated in 1837. And so his father had, at that point, he just had two slaves, but still, you know, that was that was in the background. And when I, when I talk about him, I talk about the shock it must have been of having, you know, having had this this um, childhood in the tropics and then coming over to the UK and how very different it must have been coming to Glasgow and how cold Glasgow must have been. But he obviously harked back to his childhood because later on in his life, when he retired, the house that he built himself when he retired was named after the family's plantation in Trinidad. So he obviously had fond recollections of it. And yet he was immersed in what was a slave society at that time. So, you know, very, very interesting. So... OK, m- moving on again. Um, do you think it is possible to correctly interpret and highlight the history of a building? So this is something we've been touching on in our conversation. Do you think that is possible, particularly when, you know, a building has such a dark history? And, and, and how do you make sure you're giving the space to the right voices within that?
1: It's something that we've discussed quite a bit. And stones and stone steeped in history was a start. For it in a public space because I think you have to be quite sensitive to the visitors coming in to the building. Um, I mean, we show a lot with our art and we think about our audiences all the time. And I guess what we wanted to be careful was that we weren't putting people in a triggering situation for their own experience or their own background from something that they'd come in, you know, the gallery was that Julian had at originally set up was an escape from the city into this other space and so you know a lot of visitors will visit us as a um contemporary art space and then um having this this history there so I suppose being very mindful of how the language that we use to discuss or to kind of in in spaces where there's not necessarily staff there to give you a broader space um, to talk about this or, you know, you might be coming um, with people with different experiences. And so I think it's not the easiest to do, but I suppose we go through layers of um, editing in order to get that in the public space. But I suppose what we then do is use other spaces which are online and available. So like our blog and We have a handling kit as well um, that has objects um, from Glasgow Museum's collection. That means that if our staff were pre-lockdown, when we were able to do a a Sunday afternoon with that handling kit, it meant that we could our staff could talk to visitors about the more difficult aspects of the history um, through that. With objects in place, but also a space where it it could be held or it, you know it could be discussed in in those ways um and I, th- I think you know like everything these days you are really mindful of what spaces you're creating in your building to discuss difficult subjects where you know you're not necessarily aware of everybody's experience coming into that so you you want, and, and also how people leave the building as well so i'm also aware of of being sensitive to the experiences of those that were enslaved um, and not putting that on display for others to come in and find out and you know we've done a lot of work around social justice and there is a feeling on a lot of people that they have to explain every nuanced aspect of their lives in order to inform others in order to gain empathy. And it, it feels like a lot of labour involved in that. So, you know, when we're working with artists, when we're working with people and, you know, and we're thinking about audiences coming in as well, you're trying not to overwhelm people with certain experiences in a space that makes it really uncomfortable for them to be in a building that is already loaded with history that has asked them not to be here so I think that you know there's lots lots of things that we're thinking about so you know like when you say it's not necessary there's there's a route that you can go down that I think in some ways the stone steeps in history does so it looks at the facts we worked with our social um our history Scottish history curator Tony to look at the research and the facts and so that we put that further f- we put that into into the space and i suppose some of the other works that we have in the building um through the artworks refer to the building's history but some of them are more oblique and some of them allow for a space for the audiences to bring their own experiences and to then be i suppose I- interested to go and look elsewhere or feel some kind of connection to the stories that the artists are telling through their work if that may, if that kind of helps I, I don't think there's a straight a straight answer in terms of these things
0: no no i can appreciate that and, and it, it, it is not easy um I, i'm thinking of two instances from from my own life um I, I lived in berlin for a while and fantastic city but in the winters i found it quite a dark city and quite um i was always conscious of what had happened in the war and there was one particular uh space which was an artist space but it was a huge complex, which was for the Siemens factory, um, which was out in the east. And it was it was this huge cobbled courtyard with these enormous kind of search-like spotlights on it. And walking through that, all you could think of was all the people who were gathered for the concentration camps. And you were kind of acutely conscious. Of that. I mean, there was nothing there to explain any of that to you. With was no interpretation whatsoever. But you were thinking that this must have been the kind of space where that happened. Um, and that made me feel incredibly uncomfortable so you know what you're talking about in terms of triggering people and and being conscious of people's sensitivities absolutely um and on that particular point um where do you think glasgow is in terms of its journey towards recognizing this kind of history And, and do you think there's still a long road to go
1: yeah i i think a lot of people would acknowledge it's fairly early days in recognizing this history um there is information out there. There are access points out there. and um, But like you say, a lot of us are feeling uncomfortable about things that we have taken for granted and easily spoken about in the past to audiences because they were the accepted <clears throat> histories. They were the, you know, merchants. We are in the middle of the merchant city. It was a, it's a marketing cam, campaign. Yes. You know, we are a world-class tourist yeah, so, destination.
0: Totally. Yeah, so it's a, it's 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 a construct. Yep.
1: It's a it's a construct. A construct that.
0: Yes. James, you know, James James Kelman saying you know it shouldn't shouldn't be called that. It should be it should be the working class city.
1: Yep. You've got all all of these stories within you know a history a history of a city that is incredibly um, proud of itself. It's really difficult to challenge anything about it because it's talked about its radical roots, um, its empathy, it's all of these things. But actually you know i was thinking when you you were um saying about how how we talk about things you know i'm 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 more east coast my my family um but you know you just my my gran you just have half an aspirin and get on with it you know you don't talk about things you don't go to trauma you don't you, you don't <laughs> think about how, way. <laughs> it it's the
0: Scottish way
1: it's yeah so i suppose there are some of those things about you know when you're talking about berlin and a very different approach and and trauma but you know equally you know like they were saying in Bristol we're putting sites of trauma in front of people and calling and flag waving around it calling our our history and not really understanding what that means for for other people so I suppose that's that thing and you know if it was really easy and if you know we we'd done a lot around about this you know we'd have done it it's, it's not going it's not going to be an easy conversation and it's not at, at any point and you know there are things that come up in various conversations you know from works I was with two or three years ago that actually you're you are having to rethink it or go back and check how the artist feels about things now because everything you know lots of conversations are quite fluid we are being asked really hard hard questions to not not just acknowledge, but to change and to rethink a lot of our practices because we're, we've centred our, our, our white experience quite easily into that. But then, uh, you know, and the city has changed our globe, our relationship to the rest of the world has, has changed. Um, and we need to be mindful of that and think about how we do that and, and stop centring um, so much there. Um, you know, especially when we have a collection within the city that is civic, civic recognized, and it is an international collection. It has an incredibly yes. rich yeah, yeah, histories yeah. within it, but they're all told Very from much. our perspective. Yes,
0: so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I suppose that, that that's true. And is, is some is that something that you're learning from all of these various projects, and and how you communicate that then to your audience?
1: Yeah, I mean, I suppose. You know, the Gallery of Modern Art is part of a, a family of museums. Um, we have, a, you know, a wealth of experience across the whole of Glasgow museums and also the partners that we work with and the audiences. So, you know, within GOMA particularly, you know, when I think about the social justice work and the way that we acquired work in the beginning and how we spoke about what we did, that that is changing, that learns um, that learns you learn um, as you go along and I suppose I've been there 18 years now working with colleagues um, and she introduced me as the curator of all programs and all acquisitions i'm I'm not I work with a wonderful um okay. co- set of colleagues that that work with me um I know for those times you know i i've I've kept at I'm at the same desk. I'm in the same job as I've been for 18 years because there you know there are new partners that we work with, new communities, um, new artists, new people every time that ask difficult questions of what we assume or what we have done and move it forward. So I think, yeah, and I think we do have we do listen to our audiences and our audiences. I think. Are, are have changed. I think going back to what you're saying about Black Lives Matter, you know, there were questions coming in, especially after um, we put out a message of solidarity around um, with the Black Lives Matter protests when um, George George Floyd was murdered, and we got asked, well, where is it? Where is this evidence of this? Um, solidarity. This move to change within your organisation, and it, and I think that asks you know, internally you think you're doing quite a lot, but actually how that comes across to the audiences, yeah. to the visitors,
0: yeah, as, as presented, yeah. as
1: presented, that's maybe not there, and that's something that we really have to think about because you can talk, you can list loads of projects, but if it's not how people understand or see you, they are not going to engage with you. So I suppose that's a big learning for us that um, we we need to keep thinking about and talking to people um, and also trying to do um, it, and in order to kind of communicate a lot of the internal thinking and you know it's museums and, You know you said you you know you had talks that took a couple of years to get to fruition museums are very very slow we we think it through and and it, it's not it's not because we're not willing to change it's because as she said you need to let voices permeate through into the discussions because if you stick with a factual or go are only our object records then that is a past informing how you're thinking now and it's not necessarily the multiplicity of voices that can, that we think should be heard now so you have you have to let t- that trickle through and in, into in into change and um, that happens in the museums as well so and that 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 takes time sometimes.
0: <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, it's not an easy subject and getting people to talk about it is not straightforward. It is sadly all tied up with culture wards and politics and that that you know that too makes people uncomfortable, and which which is unfortunate because you know, and particularly how all this has been presented when you look at what the, the National Trust has been doing down south, and then how that has been politicised, which I think is a great shame because it's actually really fascinating, and and I think we should look at these issues, and this this is most of this comes out in when when you look at Goma and when you look at people like um, at William Cummingham and James Ewan. Um, because they used that that money that they, that they gained. And, um, and you realize how completely, particularly with Cunningham, he was completely immersed in the culture of the early American colonies in, in Virginia. Um, because he was based as one of the apprentices, so age 15, up um, Chesapeake Bay. And that was at the point where in Virginia, where you get over a certain year period, that there's hundreds of thousands of slaves are being, are being brought in to, you know, to work on the plantations. And so, you know, he could not have been aware of that. He could not have been aware of all the suffering. Um, So in that that regard, again, you know, you've talked about how artists have responded um, to that kind of history about about the building. It would be interesting to know more about that. How, how, How have they done that? And in particular with exhibitions you've hosted.
1: Yeah, so there've been various exhibitions over the years. So I suppose going back specifically to 2007, um we worked with the artist Graham Fagan, um, who had a long standing interest in Burns, but also an interest in reggae music and um, did a body of research about um, the voyages that Burns never took to go to Jamaica um, to work as a plantation manager and so that body of work was shown in 2007 and at the same time Beth Ford was based up at St Mungo Museum um, and Beth um, was based in Glasgow at the time is now down in London um, and is biracial um, part Barbadian and um, part Scottish and she looked into that sort of Personal, but also um, history of uh, enslaved people, and and looked at um, the David Livingston Centre in Blantyre. And um, I've now completely blanked the name of the work, um, the The Shadow of the Ego. I should have looked that up. Um, But we showed that as part of exhibitions, and that's that. It was kind of a quiet work in two thousand and seven, and it's been shown a couple of times in Goma since. And you know, it's one of those things that. Inserted into an exhibition, it really asks a lot of questions. And it, it kind of, it's a photograph of her wearing a mask um, which silences you. So it's like a metal mask that has a tongue depressor that silences you that would have been used to keep people quiet. Um, and she made a glass version of this. And so I suppose the the fragility of the glass version and the brutality of the real version within the photograph are there and and um, ask a lot of very difficult questions of us um, in in terms of that and I suppose um, talking about the long lens of trauma um, through that work at a very you know in in two thousand and seven and I don't really think that work was acknowledged at the time for the powerful piece that it is because those com- it was almost ahead of the conversations that we've been having in the last few years sure. um, and with that. So, you know, th- those works have been in the collection and shown um, in an exhibition that I curated in 2017 called Polygraphs. And I think I was interested in truths and fictions mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. that time. And, you know, that started to open up more of more of the conversations around about the building Um and it's, and its history um, within the collections that we were doing. And we held a couple of conversations there. So um, it was one with a jamu where six um, queer artists of color were in um, called after dark. So it looked at that 1980s TV program called after dark on channel four, which some, some, some of us may remember some oh, of yes. us may not. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, where, you know, invited guests were in a studio with, with, with wine and food and the conversation went on until it didn't yes kind of pl- thing
0: plied with booze
1: <laughs> Lied with booze yes so um ajamu asked to do that in goma after dark when the building was closed with six queer artists of color and that conversation was really powerful just about legitimacy and um, visibility space and joy because i think you know when we're, we're talking about about this it's still you know I still feel that you know even in this conversation here we're talking about it from our pers- my perspective as being a white curator within a building loaded with history and you know they talked about it from their perspective and joy and resistance as well so you know some really powerful conversations that actually make me stop and think about what I assume how I how in my role there is an easy road to slip into where i i begin to speak for other people or begin to speak for the work in the collection and and whether i i'm i have the right to do that and so you know the work often will speak for itself and that you know so going back to what we were saying before about you know is it easy to interpret objects or a work of art you know you have to create those spaces for not defining the interpretation but allowing an audience to in- interact engage and not interpret but have have a space to s- to think about some of the themes that that work I- is talking about directly or obliquely um and i suppose more recently actually, there was an artist Kamara Taylor and they were involved in that after dark conversation with Ajamu and we've gone on to work with them through uh, project queer time school prints um but also more recently they were commissioned for um, domestic bliss which is the exhibition that's currently open in goma so that does look at the idea of the home the house you know, objects in our co- collection, and it is through a, a, a feminist lens because it's me that's curating it. But I was also aware that I'm a white middle-class female looking at the wonderful objects from social history to contemporary art and modern art um, within our collection and wanted artists' voices in there to disrupt or ask difficult questions of of the building, of the collection um, and potentially me as well. Um, And Kamara um, had initially one idea for work and then moved it into what's there now, um, which is called Empire of Love. And it's a series of Zippo lighters with engravings from James Boswell's poem, No Abolition of Slavery, Empire of Love. And I suppose it's one of those things that, you know, another of Glasgow's things is that it prided itself on being abolitionist and, you know, there's an abolitionist stall in the James Knox. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, Is, is it James Knox or John Knox painting at Kelvin Grove and things. And, but with, you know, there's a history in Scotland of even in the late 1700s, when you're thinking it's on the cusp of change, there's really vocal voices out there saying, it's slavery's fine, we need it, we can't get rid of it. And so she's put a, a literal incendiary device into our collection. You know, it's a zippo lighter.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so for her it, it's a really beautiful object that just is th-
0: like the blue torch paper, as it was. Yes.
1: <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, and those are what I find exciting about work, working with artists because they can they can in insert a voice into a space that can ask a lot of questions it's not necess- and it doesn't it's not having the answers it's just in it's inserted into a corner cabinet in the exhibition domestic bliss which has a Wedgwood teapot from the middle of the 1700s which has um the tea party which was a famous design there on a the northernware pot which was where the aspiring middle class would be buying this pot and it has a, a Gentrified couple sitting, having a cup of tea, being served by a young enslaved black servant. And it's it's just there. And then it has a Glasgow Miles Better mug next to it. <laughs> it has um, some memorabilia from the Empire exhibitions and it has an ashtray from the Shish Mahal. You know, all, all these little signifiers around the complex histories of Glasgow. And then you've got Empire of Love as six Zippo lighters in there and just asking questions it's it's not you know and so different people will will bring to that and take from it very
0: provocative yeah (laughs) yeah it does it makes makes you realize just how how difficult this whole subject is how difficult interpretation is um the whole issue with say the, the the monument to Melville over in Edinburgh and the plaque for that over recent months that's that's been fascinating too I mean I don't know whether you ever got a chance to 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 look into that at all, but the, the representations, an enormous number of representations, just about the wording of it and whether or not the wording was correct or was it the right thing to do, was it not. And you can see just how, how polarized it becomes. And yet it's something we're going to have to tackle somehow. So it's, it's interesting to learn from, from things like that and from what you're up to in GOMA, which I think is really very interesting. Um, so okay. Finally, so bringing all this to a conclusion. Now, this is kind of a trick question, but we're always interested to know this on any of our guests that we have or people who come to our office as well. We always have to ask them this question. What is your favourite building in Glasgow and what would it say to you if its walls could talk? Can you let us know?
1: I can. This was the hardest question that you asked me and it should be going (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it is in some ways. But I was thinking about it, and I think it's actually the the station building at Queen's Park. And it's for an, a couple of reasons. Okay. Not necessarily always the obvious ones. Um, I used to get the train to school, and it wasn't to Queen's Park, but the building was very, very similar to the Queen's Park train station building. And... As a teenager, you're hanging there after school, waiting for the train, in the, in all weathers, all of the different kind of conversations that happen there. Um, that 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 building is gone and being replaced by a more ubiquitous um, train station now. Um, it's almost ride through. Um, mm-hmm. But I like it because it reminds me of um, times earlier um, I think there's something interesting about trains and journeys. Um there's always something interesting about that line, especially if you get stuck on the inner or the outer circle. <laughs> you go back and start at the same place. Yes, um, yeah, yeah. And now where <laughs> yeah, I live quite. in the south side of <laughs> Glasgow, it's on it's on the way home, so it's kind of a signifier of being near home. Um, but it's also got the Queen's Park Railway Club, so it's it's again its uses have shifted into hosting a program of exhibitions as well so sometimes if you get off you can go in and have a different kind I, of
0: I really like that about it yeah
1: and then also you know i just think when you're at train stations the conversations that you overhear so it's not necessarily you know and the walls and things that have happened or meetings or goings or moments at train stations and so mm-hmm. yeah that's mm-hmm. that's why that's that's there for yes, me some, Something I'm
0: moment. really missing at the moment. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Know no what you mean. I, I, was, I, I was involved in trying to save Maxwell Park Station, which is kind of a, it's a new relation, obviously, of Queen, Queen's Park. And yeah, sim- similar feelings about that too. Um, it now has a model train um, club in it, and um, that's on the ground floor. And then the upper floor, that's the, the, the local heritage um, society, Pulch Shorts Heritage, have a little exhibition space up there so you know, it's good that these the, the stations are kind of being being reused imaginatively, in that way. Because you know, as you say, so, so many of them were were, were swept away, um, and and unnecessarily. When you look at the facilities that they they actually had in them, they were incredibly civilized, and it was a real kind of asset to Glasgow. And kind of a, a shame that they they have have disappeared. Yes, um, that that that's really it's really fascinating that you'd say that. Huh? That's quite quite intriguing. So um, listen, um, thank you very much, Katie. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Really interesting to hear kind of your, your thoughts on, on Goma and the program that you're doing there, which is, which is you know really interesting and worthwhile. Um, I can't wait to get back inside Goma. Um, it was actually the last museum I visited before lockdown. So I have to get back and visit it again. So um, just thank, thank you very much once again, a real pleasure. And just to everybody else who's listening in, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast and share it. And you can follow us on hashtag GlasgowWallsCouldTalk. Thank you very much. The following message was submitted by a member of the public. If you want to leave a message about your opinions, memories, and thoughts about Glasgow's historic built environment, have a look at our website to find out how.
1: I thought the addition of an additional street name below the historical one, clear white writing on black background belonging to a slave was a sensitive way of preserving Glasgow's architectural heritage, whilst encouraging us to recognise that the wealth was largely derived from slave trades. Glasgow City Heritage Trust is an independent charity and grant funder that promotes the understanding, appreciation and conservation of Glasgow's historic built environment. Want to know more? Have a look at our website at glasgowheritage.org.uk and follow us on social media at Glasgow Heritage. This podcast was produced by Inner Ear for Glasgow City Heritage Trust. This podcast is kindly sponsored by the National Trust for Scotland and supported by Tunex.